Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from Genesis. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And over the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. A reading from 2 Thessalonians. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tr tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, 
but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we proclaim you as king on this Sunday and on all days. We thank you that you are Lord of all, that you are Lord of this church, Lord of our lives. Pray, Lord, that you would um, teach us uh, through your word. Help me to honor your word um, this morning. And we thank you, Lord, that as you have promised, you are present here with us. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. And you can be seated. Uh, so uh, a little less than two weeks ago, uh, my wife uh, Molly went um, down into our basement and saw that our um, water heater had malfunctioned in some way and it expressed a um, large amount of water um, into our basement. It didn't cover the entire basement, but a good chunk of the basement carpet was um, very uh, wet. Um, it squelched uh, when you walked uh, across it. And so uh, Molly did what you do in a situation like that. She called our insurance. Um, they. 
um, uh, connected her to um, a, a group that they work with that comes and gets water um, out of uh, basements, water abatement, I think it's called. Um, then she called a plumber to figure out what was wrong with our water heater. And over the next few days, we interacted again with insurance agents, with uh, people um, cleaning up uh, our basement, with people fixing our water heater. And I have to say, through those interactions, Molly and I's stress became less and less. Uh, the more people we interacted with, actually, the better we felt. It was amazing. Everyone uh, was very committed to helping us. They were all uh, very friendly. They were thorough in their work. We actually thought our basement was thoroughly dry, and the people said, nope, we're coming back tomorrow to make sure it's completely and totally dry. Right? At one point, we were talking with a master plumber about our um, water heater and what was wrong with it, and he was trying to figure out the most cost-effective way uh, to fix it. And Molly and I said afterwards, we were like, we feel like we had just met with a surgeon who was concerned about our life. I mean, that's how seriously he took his work and how much he wanted us to understand sort of how water heaters work and why they malfunction at times and what we can do to prevent that from happening. Right? That's sort of what can happen right? when someone values the work that they do. Uh, when they um, serve others, right, in their work, is that good work doesn't just get done, which did get done. We were very thankful for that, especially as we were um, hosting um, Thanksgiving and going to be using our basement. But actually, emotionally, we were blessed. We were built up by people doing their jobs well and by interacting and, and taking seriously their work. We're in a series about our um, values. We're actually coming to the end of the series, um, the Church of the Cross values, and we've talked about our mission um, in this. And again, as we've talked about these values, we've talked about these as things that guide us as a church, help us determine how are we called, how do we believe we're called to fulfill the mission um, God has um, given us as a church. But we've also talked about these values as something we believe all people of faith um, can um, embrace, right? We believe these values are rooted in the scriptures and so aren't just for Church of the Cross, but are for those who are part of this community, for those who aren't part of this community. But in particular, as we talked through our values, as we did some work on our values over the last few years, we really felt the strong need to emphasize the importance of vocation. Because sometimes the message that people have gotten from the church is what's most important is the work you do here, right, and serving the church, which is important. And so please keep doing that. We are very thankful for that. But sometimes people get the message, oh, that other work you do, that's just secular, right? That doesn't really matter. What matters is what happens here, right? But we're the church, and our work matters, whether it's here um, in this ministry, whether it's out in our community, whether it's in our workplaces, this is how we uh, defined um, this value, this celebration or celebrating vocation. We say we celebrate all the ordinary and extraordinary vocations that God has granted each of us. And we seek to rightly order our responsibilities so that our homes, workplaces, communities, and church may flourish as God uses us to be his hands and feet. So there's a lot there. I encourage you to go on our website and read that again and consider that. Let me just focus on one thing that it says at the beginning. We celebrate all the ordinary and extraordinary vocations God has granted each of us. By extraordinary vocation, we mean things like there are times when people are called to maybe um, great places of influence, um, great places of authority, great places of impact. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, what's an extraordinary vocation? And Queen Esther came to mind in the uh, scriptures and the, the book of Esther, right? Queen Esther is made queen in sort of an unusual um, uh, circumstance, right? And in that role as queen, she's given great responsibility, great authority, and she's actually given an opportunity to influence actually the you know, future of her people, of the Jewish people, right? Through her influence, many Jewish people are saved. Their lives are saved. 
That's an extraordinary vocation, right? Such a time as this, right? As it says in Esther, you were called for this moment. We celebrate those, right? We celebrate those extraordinary moments where God amuses someone, perhaps in even a miraculous way, but we also celebrate ordinary vocation, day-to-day, right? Fulfilling the job that God has called you to, the work that God has called you to in your workplaces, in your communities, in your church, in your homes, right? I'm going to focus in particular on work, on our jobs, right? Now, that may look different for different people in different seasons with different abilities. I understand that, right? But so we want to think about both what's the work that we're called to, the, the jobs that we have, but also how do we celebrate the jobs of others, So this isn't just us thinking about our own work, but us thinking about the work of others and to celebrate that and to acknowledge the good of vocation. And so we can start first just acknowledging that work is a gift from God. God calls us to work. And work is good. It's a good thing to do. And we see that right from the beginning, right? Let's look at our Genesis reading. It's pretty striking if you think about it that the first thing we see God doing, right, in the scriptures, right, is creating, right? And Dean talked about that a couple of weeks ago, right? We see beauty, right? We see the, the glory of creation that reflects God's glory. But he's working, and the scriptures speak about him working. Right? We see that in chapter 2 of Genesis when it says, The heavens and the earth were finished, all the hosts of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He had been doing work. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. As you're probably familiar, right? Rest there doesn't mean that God was tired and needed to sleep, right? God doesn't grow tired. God doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't need to physically rest, right? But rest there speaks of ceasing from labor. And actually, it has the idea of celebrating good work being done, right? And so there's celebration of vocation right there. God celebrates, right? And he says again and again as he creates the world, it is good, right? It is good. And when he creates male and female humanity, he says it is very good. And so there's the opportunity to celebrate. This is good work. It should be celebrated. And so in our work, we're actually imitating God. That's part of what it means to do work is to imitate God. Now, there are ways in which we're not called to imitate God. God is sovereign. He's creator, right? We're not. We humble ourselves before him and his authority. But there are many ways that we are called to imitate God, to imitate his mercy, to imitate his love, right? To imitate his wisdom and his care and imitate that he works. And so we even see that in the the language that is used there. Again, we have this vision of God creating. Then we're told that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. You can see that um, in verse 8. And then verse 15, the Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God's been working. Now the man who he's created, he works. And God calls him to work. And notice it says he called him to work it and to keep it. If you were here um, last week, uh, Sarah Hoffner, one of our um, children's um, leaders, um, talked about um, her reflections on that word keep and connected it to um, speaking of the blessing in numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And she was talking about how comforting that is, right? As as a parent, as one called to care for children, that the Lord keeps um, her children, right? And keeps our children, right? To keep, to watch over them, to care for them, to provide for them. And so that's a key thing that the Lord does. And yet here we have Adam being called to work and to keep the garden. So again, there's an imitation there, the goodness of work, right? In, In our work, we are acting like God acts. And he's called us to do that. But not only is there imitation in work, but there's also collaboration in work. 
As we work, actually, we're collaborating with God. We, we work unto his glory. We work acknowledging that he works through us. That's why we use that language of calling us to be his hands and his feet, right? God works in many ways um, in the world and in creation, but one of the ways he works is through his people, right? And so we work alongside him. And again, we see that in um, this great moment where um, Adam names all the animals. And maybe you've kind of thought of that. It's like, well, it's cute in children's books, right, to have Adam naming all the animals. But it's really a significant moment, right? We see the sort of authority that the Lord is giving Adam and giving humanity, right? That word dominion comes up, right? And um, sometimes that word has been misused, but the idea is managing creation, right? We're called, right, to have dominion, right? The, the humans, humanity, Adam and Eve, are different from the animals, Right? They do a type of work, but the work we're called to as people is very different. It's a vocation, right? It's an office of work. And we see that authority that the Lord has given the man and that he names creatures. Right? Naming, we see throughout the scriptures, is a sign of authority. Right? When you name something, you are showing authority over it. It's why um, Jesus, right, when he casts out demons, will often, you know, call them by name and cast them out. He's showing, I have authority over you. Right? He's making that clear. And in this section, right, that Adam has been given authority, right? But God's, you know, God could have done that, right? But he's giving Adam the opportunity to, to lead, and they're collaborating together. God brings the animals to him, and Adam names them. But we can also see in this pro process, in the work, Adam's learning. He's learning discernment, right? God has said there's not a helper fit for him, and now Adam's able to learn that himself as he names the different animals to realize, okay, none of these are a helper fit for me. None of these are, are creatures made in the image of God as I'm made in the image of God. Maybe he couldn't articulate that yet, but he was experiencing that. And so God, in collaborating with Adam, is teaching him, right? And we learn, right, through collaborating with God, right? Just as, you know, someone may be apprenticed in a job, just as we raise up children and we give them chores, we give them work to do so that they can learn through their work. God calls us to work, and we learn through it. We grow, right, as we respond to the work that God has called us to do. As we celebrate work as a gift, though, we have to acknowledge that it's a gift that's been affected by sin. It's been affected by the fall, as so much has. Right? And so at the end of our reading, we have those words, and the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed, and yet we know, sadly, that's going to change. Right? That shame will come upon the man and the woman um, as they turn away from God, as they give in to temptation and sin. And so that shame then leads to blame. Right? God, you know, comes to Adam and Eve and says, you know, where are you? And they're hiding from him. God knows where they are, right? But he's acknowledging that they are trying to hide from him, right? He says, what happened? And you remember, you know, Adam in one sentence basically blames both Eve and God, right? He says, the woman who you made, you know, led me to sin. And suddenly now there's shame, there's blame. And so relationships are harmed um, in the fall, right? The relationship between Adam and Eve, the relationship between them and God. We know it'll affect families, it affects Cain and Abel. So we see that happening, right, as a result of the fall. We see God then telling them, this will be some of the implications of your sin, that the woman will experience pain in childbirth. So Adam and Eve have been called to be fruitful and to multiply, and yet now that will come with pain and will come with difficulty. And then they're told, right, that your labor will be difficult. By the sweat of your brow, you will work the land. And so that's a change. And so we can see these good things, these gifts, right? Having children, right? Marriage, right? Relationship with God, work are all spoiled by the fall. But I think it's important for us to see work is part of that. 
Because I think sometimes we say, well, of course, you know, having children and being in relationship with one another, and of course, being in relationship with God, those are good things. Work, sometimes we put it in a different category, but we see it right there with all those other things. These are things spoiled by the fall, but are good gifts, right? It was, it was before the fall that Adam was working in the garden, and that was a good thing, and that Adam and Eve was working alongside him. And, and so, yes, oftentimes we do experience work as trial, as difficulty, as sometimes a place of frustration, sometimes a place of failure, right, and, and great difficulty. But yeah, that's the, because sin has entered in and has affected it. And so we can hold up work as a good thing, realizing as well that, again, it's affected by sin, and we experience that and often experience frustration in our work. So work is a gift, a gift that, of course, God redeems and works through, but also, right, we are given work as a gift, but we work as a gift to others. So our work is a gift to others, and it is meant to be, right? We work unto the Lord and ultimately honor Him through our work, but also we're called to serve others. One of the ways we do that is through our work. And so, right, we see, again, with the creation of Eve, that the Lord says, right, there, there's, there needs to be a helper of the, of the same kind, right, a, a helper um, alongside Adam. And sometimes, right, Eve being called a helper is sometimes seen as sort of pejorative, like, you know, like it's diminishing the importance of Eve. But the first thing we should note, right, is that the person who's most often called a helper in scriptures is God. Right? That's the term, um, uh, that's where helper is most often used to describe God. So certainly no insult to be called a helper. But also, right, it's what all of us are called to. We're called to help one another. That idea of helper, um, the word actually communicates there was something lacking in Adam, right? He was lacking in a way. He was incomplete, right? And that's a vision, again, for marriage, but it's also just a vision for community. We need one another. We're called to help, right? And so God, when he comes in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, he's a helper, right? He helps through work, through being a carpenter, right? We, we don't know how many years, right? But that, again, is what we learn is his vocation. And so he serves others in that way. And then as he begins his ministry of teaching and healing and prayer and building up leaders, right? He serves others, right? Most remarkably, when he washes the disciples' feet, right? A job, as we're familiar, right? That was only for the lowest of servants. And yet Jesus, the Lord God, right, does that, our King, and so we're all called to serve. It's a vision of humble service, a vision of building others up, right, that can inform our work, right? And so we see that, again, uh, with the creation of Eve, right? We need one another, right? We need other people. We are called to help one another. We see it also in a different way in our Second Thessalonians reading. If you would look at um, that reading, where um, Paul's addressing the fact that there are some in the church in Thessalonica, I said it right in the first service, um, uh, that um, uh, have stopped working, right? Now, we don't know why. There's some speculation. First Thessalonians speaks uh, quite a bit about the um, coming of Christ and Christ's return. And so some wonder, did they stop working because they heard, oh, Christ is coming back. I don't need um, to work. You know, he'll just come back so I can uh, stop working. Um, Whatever the reason, Paul's concerned about it. Right? It's not like the church tells him, hey, some people stopped um, you know, working in our community, and he said, well, you know, work, that's not my concern, right? I'm a pastor, right? I, I can, I'm concerned about spiritual stuff, right? That's a secular issue. You guys figured it out. No, he says, oh, that's affecting your community. That's important, right? I need to exhort those who aren't working to work if they can, right? To get jobs if they can, right? So he even says, right? I mean, when we were with you, so he's probably talking about himself, Timothy, Sylvanus, um, who, um, you know, wrote this letter together. We worked, 
right? We could have depended on support from you. That was appropriate with some churches. That's what Paul did. But he's saying, in your case, actually, we worked, we did jobs as well to model for you, right? This is good. It's good to do work. It's good to have jobs. And then he says to him, right? Um, uh, Verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So that's a command he gives them in the Lord, right? So he's saying, this is part of your faith. This is part of your relationship with the Lord. Do work, right? If you can do it, right? I mean, again, different people have different seasons of life, but if you can work, do work and earn a wage. That's a good thing to do. That's part of our faith, because again, it's good for the community. I think it's significant, right, that right after that, he says in verse 13, as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good, right? They're they're connected, right? Our work is one of the ways we do good, and we build one another up and serve one another and share the resources, right, that we earn, um, we share with others and build the community up. So um, in our, uh, again, description of this value of the celebration of vocation or celebrating vocation, we use that word flourish, right? It's a great word. It's a word I feel like Christians have been using a lot for like the last 10 years. It's become kind of a, a hip word and a lot of things out there. And it's a great word, right? And it captures that vision, right? We're about flourishing um, as Christians, not just for fellow Christians, although we want to build one another up in the church and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're about the flourishing of our community. Right? When the people went into exile, right? The Lord told them through Jeremiah, right? Be concerned about your city, right? Build up the city. Love the city, right? And that's where the cities of Babylonians. He's still saying you should be about loving your community and seeing the flourishing of your community. And so that's a great vision. Again, as we think about our work, how is our work, my work leading to flourishing? And maybe for some of you, you're like, oh, I can see it very clearly in my job, right? I can see the ways in which I'm building others up and serving others. Right? Maybe some of you are saying, I don't know. Like, how do I evaluate? I think we can probably all agree if your work involves sin of some sort, it's probably not a calling from God, right? If you're, you know, inciting people to lust or, you know, stealing from folks or bearing false witness, then you can say, find something new, right? Turn away from that. But oftentimes in our work, we don't, we may feel like, I don't know, am I leading to flourishing? Am I helping others? Am I just making a wage? And I would just say, that's really something to pray about and to consider and to speak to others about and seek counsel. God cares about our work. It's not separate, right, from the other things God cares about. And so if you're wondering, right, again, I would encourage you to really explore that, but to explore that with not too narrow of a vision of what flourishing looks like. Like I said, right, Molly and I experienced, I think it's fair to say flourishing, right, in people who cleaned our basement well and did so with kindness, right, and, and showed a care for us and for the stress we were experiencing in that situation. So maybe it's worth just stepping back and saying, man, what ways am I building others up in my work, right? What does that look like? Maybe there are ways that the Lord is calling that to increase in your workplace, but maybe you just need a vision to see how that's already happening. But of course, as we do that, though, we do remember, yes, our work has been affected by sin and affected by being in a fallen world. And so that doesn't mean, again, that we are unethical in our work. We certainly seek not to be. It doesn't mean that we can't, you know, follow our dreams and our passions and seek to have work that is meaningful and builds one another's up. We totally should. But as Christians, we can also say, you know, sometimes work isn't going to be all we want it to be. Sometimes it will be a place of frustration. Sometimes it will be a place where we fail and mess up because we live in a fallen world. And again, we don't make peace with that, but we just acknowledge that. And sometimes we need to just be okay with that, even again, as we seek God's redeeming power and God's redeeming work. Finally, again, as we consider work, there's much to consider. The final thing I want to encourage you to consider 
It's how our work, our jobs are not our ultimate work. Right? They're not our ultimate calling. They believe, I believe they are part of our calling, right? The work we do, the, the way we earn wages, right? The way we serve our family, that's part of our calling. But again, our ultimate calling, the calling that informs all the rest of our callings, right, is the call to serve the Lord and to honor him. And we see that so clearly, right, in our um, John reading. If you turn to that reading, right, this um, group has followed uh, Jesus. This is after he's done the miraculous feeding where he's fed thousands of people with just a few pieces of bread and a couple fish. And so they're following him. Um, Jesus, as often, right, um, uh, confronts them. He knows their hearts. He says to them in verse 26, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Or you're, just, you're looking for a free meal, right? And you should be looking for something much greater than that, right? He's actually confronting them for having too low of expectations of him, right? He's saying, you should expect more of me, right? If you're following me, you should be hungry for the food that will feed you for all eternity. You should be thirsting for the drink that will totally quench your thirst, right? And, and serve you. And they say to him, what, what is this, right? And he answers them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Verse 29. I just think that's a verse that probably many of us need to come to again and again. As we think about our work, as we think about who we are and how we sort of think about ourselves, that this is your first calling, right? To believe in the one whom the Father has sent, to believe in Jesus, to receive, right? The gift of life, of grace that comes through his death and his resurrection on our behalf, right? To receive, right, all that he has given us to receive that love that is based first and foremost on who we are, right? Not what we do. Because work, again, it's a good gift. We're called to serve others, but it can become our identity. It can become an idol, right? It can become, we look to our work to tell us that I'm worthwhile, right? That I, I mean something, right? And that doesn't even just have to be our jobs, right? That can be a to-do list, Right? Maybe some of you after Thanksgiving you know, weekend are thinking, man, I hardly did anything this weekend. And you can feel that sort of sense, like is my worth lessened because I didn't accomplish enough. Maybe I took it too easy. Maybe I ate too many desserts. Well, maybe that's a separate um, thing, right? But whatever it is, right, we so easily are constantly evaluating ourselves and how good it is to come to again and again. This is the first job I have to believe in the one whom he has sent. And that actually affects all the other way I look at my work. Uh, many um, years ago when my um, oldest son Aiden was just a couple of years old, I had a number of months where I was looking for work and having a hard time finding something. I was trying to figure out sort of what God was calling um, me to and it just wasn't clear. And again, I looked into a couple jobs and they fell through and so it was a time of unemployment and I was really struggling. And again, my um, son Aiden was young and so um, I spent a good amount of time um, during that season watching uh, Thomas the Tank Engine uh, with him. Um, so he was a big uh, Thomas the Tank Engine fan. I don't know if children still like uh, Thomas, but uh, uh, big in our family. And so we'd watch these videos of Thomas the Tank Engine. He's a, he's a train um, uh, with a face, um, uh, with human emotions. Um, and uh, he works alongside of a group of trains. Um, and uh, this group of trains is managed by this guy named Sir Topham Hatt. He's kind of the ringleader. Um, of the trains. And the biggest compliment that Sir Topham Hack can give to a train is, you are a very useful engine. Right? He repeats that, and the trains love it when he says that. And so I'd watch it as this unemployed person and think, I'm not a useful engine, right? I'd feel like, oh, I want to be a useful engine. I want to be like Thomas. Now, I look back at that, and I think, 
I was parenting my son. Like, what's more important than that? Well, believing in God is more important than that, but few things are more important than that, right? I mean, that was such important work, for one. But also, again, God doesn't say to us, you know, unless you're useful, right, I don't love you. I mean, again, he calls us to work, and, and it's a delight to serve him with work. But first and foremost, we know he loves us whether we're useful or not, right? I mean, he rejoices over us. That is where we root our identity. As we root our identity in that reality, then my first job is just to believe and to receive and to trust in him. Out of that, it flows in a right view of other people's work, right? What does Jesus says? He says, look, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, right? He's, he's correcting them there. You're thinking that the bread from heaven came from Moses. It came from God. And God is the one who sent me, right? I'm the son of God. And so he's correcting them, right? You're getting mixed up. You are forgetting every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so when we remember that, we remember, oh, the blessings I receive from other people's works, right? The house I live in, the car I drive, the technology um, that helps me, right? The food that I eat, those are gifts that ultimately come from God, even if, again, I've, I've acquired them through the help of others, through the work of others, right? We actually celebrate, again, vocation as we realize every vocation ultimately is the Lord serving us. I'm through uh, people, right? Through some that know him, many who don't know him. That's common grace, right? That God works through people, to serve us. So we celebrate, again, as our vision for work grows, right? Our thanksgiving um, grows and our thanks for it. So let's pray for that. Lord, again, we do thank you that work um, is a gift, that you have given us different gifts, different responsibilities. I know represent here different seasons of life, and yet, Lord, there's a call for each one of us. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray for each person here especially for those perhaps are unclear on what that call is, perhaps are, are struggling right now with how you're calling them. Lord, that you'd speak to them, you'd give them discernment, you'd give them those to come alongside of them. But Lord, we pray as well that you would give us eyes to see and to appreciate the work of others around us. Lord, even as we consider our own work, may we bless um, those and those who work and those who serve us. May we acknowledge, may we build them up in celebrating their vocations. And we thank you, Lord, that in all that we do, we submit to you, our Lord and King. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand.